Current Details presents The Little Bookmakers. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to The Little Bookmakers, where you can listen to some of the most prominent names in Indian children's publishing, including authors, illustrators, animators, and more. Get a glimpse of what goes on behind the scenes of your favorite children's books. Today, we are delighted to have with us two wonderful authors, Devika Rangachari and Saumya Rajendran. Devika has actually written for Karadi Tales, a book called A Hundred Cartloads, which is now available as an audiobook narrated by Soha Ali Khan. She has also written Queen of Ice, which was on the White Ravens list and won the Neve Young Adult Book Award. She has also written Queen of Earth and Queen of Fire, among many other books. Samya Rajendran has written the wildly popular Mile books along with Nivedita Subramaniam, for which she was awarded the Sahitya Academy's Bal Sahitya Puraskar. She has also written The Boy Who Asked Why, Wings to Fly, The Snow King's Daughter, and School is Cool, among many more. Today, both of them are going to be talking about censorship and taboo topics in Indian children's literature. So, Samya and Devika, the reason we came up with the idea for this conversation is because, as I'm sure both of you know, we at Karadi Tales had our own experience with censorship and banning. With the book The Art of Tying a Pug, written by Natasha Sharma and illustrated by Priya Kurian. The amount of rage this small 6x6 inch book caused was incredible. The story was fairly simple, just a tutorial on how to tie a pagadi, and written by someone who is a Sikh herself. Natasha just wanted to write about something she'd watched her father and her uncles do all her life, and Priya had illustrated it beautifully and with a kind of humour that complemented the story perfectly. But the response to the book is something none of us saw coming. We were getting death threats, as were Natasha and Priya, and there was a petition circling to have the book taken down. And ultimately, in a few days, mostly just to protect Natasha and Priya, we decided to take the book down and no longer sell it. But you know what was interesting is that we've never had a book sell that fast. We were getting so many orders a day in the few days that it was up. So I guess books that are controversial also gain a lot of interest. I know, Devika and Samya, that both of you have had experiences with censorship and banning. And Devika, I recall you talking about this for Banned Books Week last year, the controversy around Queen of Ice. And Samya, I know that Mail has been banned in many schools for talking about things that are considered taboo. So we really wanted to hear from both of you about your experiences and your perspectives on this. So I'm going to stop talking now and hand it over to both of you. Thank you so much, Daya. And Devika, it's a pleasure to be in conversation with you. I know we've met uh, each other in schools and literary festivals, but I don't think we've ever sat down and had a long chat. So as somebody who has read and enjoyed your books, I am really happy to be here. Likewise, uh, Saumya, I mean, uh, I've always admired your books and I remember I, when I first read the, uh, the first book in the Mile series, I was, you know, really thrilled and waiting for the next one and, you know, and I really enjoyed the whole experience and 
in fact at the back of my mind when i was reading uh, these books i was just wondering you know what the reaction would be <laughs> and the, the fact that you were really bold to actually explore a lot of topics that would have all the grown ups around you frowning but um, yeah it's a pleasure to be in conversation with you and i'm looking forward to it thank you so much devika so this is pretty unique authors interviewing each other so i'll start with a very trite question uh, how did it all begin for you because i'm really curious to know how somebody gets so interested in history that they i think you uh, you are you have done your postdoctoral research also in women in medieval history right if i'm not wrong yeah women in early medieval india yes so how did how did this whole thing start for you how did you get into history and how did that translate into uh, writing children's books so uh, samya i i uh, studied history in college and uh, as as most people know if you like to read you automatically like history there's a very strong connection there and uh, but it was only when i uh, went up to the mphil stage when i needed to specialize in something in order to write a dissertation that i came upon this text called the rajtarangini which is a history of kashmir written in the 12th century which is a wonderful text which uh, written uh, written by this poet called kalhana who fancied himself uh, as a historian and you know uh, wanted to document uh, everything that went on in his land from the earliest times to his own to the 12th century and when i read that text in translation it's originally in sanskrit but when i read it in translation i realized that there were a lot of women being mentioned both royal and non royal who did not otherwise appear in other narratives of kashmir's history that i had also consulted so there was this huge discrepancy right then you know as i read further i realized that there was a huge gender bias in the writing of history which became really evident to me as far as kashmir was concerned but when i decided to extend my uh, research into other areas of north india and subsequently for my postdoctoral uh, thesis into orissa uh, i realized that this gender bias is really alarming you know uh, women have been made virtually invisible in historical accounts so that when you read the histories of of any region or any period um, and this is actually not just of indian history but of history written anywhere else in the world uh you get the impression that women were very trivial uh you know uh, were sitting somewhere on the periphery uh you know not really involved in the changes that were happening around them and uh, who were not really relevant parts of the past whereas when i looked at the actual inscription uh, inscriptions coins texts and other sources pertaining to them they were telling me a very different story one where royal and non royal women were very powerful very palpable presences in the past and who actually had a huge impact on polity society economy of all that they were associated with and that is where i decided to actually you know write about some of these remarkable women that i had uncovered for uh, young readers not just young readers but readers of any age because this is the kind of information that they will not have access to uh, you know in textbooks and other writings and when i used to do school visits the kind of alarming you know ignorance about women in the past is very very clear to me because when i'd ask students everywhere uh, this is all over the country in fact not just delhi uh, to name you know uh, some prominent women that they remember reading about they would grind to a halt after the usual suspects like rani lakshmi bai and you know jahanara and then they'd say razia and they'd stop 
and then I'd say, was anybody before Razia? Razia's 13th century. And they would say, no, there was no woman before Razia. So I'd tell them, you know, stop and think about what you just said. Is it likely that there was no woman before Razia? And then they themselves would look up, you know, sheepish and wonder why they didn't know. But that's the way the textbooks are written. So I thought that, okay, uh, since I have all this uh, uh, knowledge at my disposal and I write for children, I should just bring the two together and uh, make sure that I'm conveying to my readers a very important part of their past that uh, they needed to know about. It's also with you, right? I mean, you specialize in gender studies. And uh, is that the reason why you started writing for children in the first place to sort of explore various dimensions of this? Or what is the decision that made you write the Mile series, for instance? Yeah, so I discovered uh, the word gender itself only when I was in college. So kids these days, they are a lot more aware and they know the difference between biological sex and gender and so on. But it was only in college that I even heard this term and what it meant. And understanding that really changed my perspective of the world and all my experiences until that point. Um, I understood uh, why I was seething with rage about so many things around me and why I found, you know, a lot of things to be unfair. And then I uh, read this book, uh, Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf, uh, which pretty much, uh, you know, changed my perspectives towards literature as well. Because Virginia Woolf talks about um, not only women in writing, but also how women have been written until that point by uh, male authors whom we celebrate, whom we adore and whom we respect and venerate so much. So it was at that point that I felt it was okay to take a break away from this and to revisualize women characters often when you are uh, when you are reading a lot you tend to imbibe uh, those points of view those perspectives so when you start creating your own art it kind of reflects what you have read until that point so i think for a woman writer it is very important to be cognizant of this and uh, to be brave enough to break away from this if needed so, um, for both Nivedita and Nivedita is my college mate and we have done several books together including the Mile series. So, uh, both of us were interested in creating a resource book for children which would talk about gender and sexuality and so many things that we wish we had known much earlier, you know. It would have saved us a lot of angst while growing up. So, that's how the idea for the Mile series really came and everybody pretty much rejected the book. Uh, we sent it around to all the, I think, nearly 20 publishers. We mailed hard copies because in those days, uh, you know, sending manuscripts by email, not everybody would accept it. So we That's printed true. out, yeah, we printed out the books <laughs> and sent it to everyone and everyone said no. Finally, we heard back from Tulika and uh, Radhika Menon, uh, the publishing uh, editor. She uh, told us, you know, why don't you write this as a diary? So that it's more accessible to children and we can also kind of market it that way, that, that this is a diary series. Uh, because a resource book is a little more difficult to, I think, get to the audience. And we thought that was a great suggestion. So we rewrote the entire book. And uh, yeah, so that's how uh, Mayil happened. And we felt that at that point there weren't too many books that talked about growing up experiences in India uh, from a girl's point of view. So, especially a South Indian book. The, the book is very firmly located in Chennai, which is where both of us grew up. So, we wanted to kind of create that for children, that relatable kind of fiction. 
uh, that we wish we had we had when we were growing up so that was the whole purpose so what kind of feedback have you received for the mind series from your young readers the young readers as you can imagine are a lot more open to reading yeah. about all kinds of things <laughs> yes so uh, the most surprising thing was when we went to a, a prominent chennai school uh, this was right before the launch i think our publishers were also a little anxious about how the book would be received because it it was very different from what was there at that time in the indian market i remember that uh, after the session there were more boys who lined up to buy the book than girls so we were a little surprised by this because uh, you know i remember and one child especially one boy said oh mail is just like me so he was able to relate to her uh, because i think he also wanted to be a writer so that was a surprising response but we've also had uh, some kids there was one girl who loved the book but she did not want her younger brother to read it because it talks about menstruation and uh, you know so she had actually approached the librarian and told the librarian that this shouldn't be there in the library because i don't want my brother to read this so <laughs> we yeah so we've had really interesting reactions how about you when you go to schools and you are talking about all your strong unapologetic ambitious uh, queens so what sort of reactions have you had so i don't know about you somia but i find it a little difficult to keep my um, rage under control when you know the gatekeepers rise up on all sides the parents teachers and librarians and they lecture you on what is appropriate reading for children and what is not and uh, you know the temptation is to just tell them to back off you know often it's the parents who are the biggest stumbling blocks in uh, in a child's reading journey but anyway so queen of ice is about a, a very powerful woman called didda who ruled kashmir in the 10th century but uh, you know she's a she could be deemed to be a problematic character in the eyes of most uh, adults because she's ruthless uh, she is capable of great violence you know she doesn't really think of you know any moral scruples align her path as long as she achieves what she wants to and that is very much a part of the book i've tried to show her the way she has been portrayed in history by uh, kalhana you know and all other narratives so uh, and queen of earth which is about uh, prithvi mahadevi who ruled orissa in the 9th century is is also sort of a variant of didda because she although she she doesn't resort to open violence in the way didda does she's also pretty ruthless and very very clear about what she wants to do to protect herself on the throne and she would also go to any extent to do that and these two uh, figures directly contravene the stereotype that a woman is supposed to be gentle unambitious sitting you know within the confines of a domestic context and and not really aspiring to rule and and so on and so forth queen of fire which is my third book is a little different uh, from the others in the series because a lot is known about uh, rani lakshmibai of jhansi but i wanted to actually uncover the person behind the name i mean everybody just automatically uh, assumes that you know she was just uh, unfailingly courageous and she just went from one step to the other trying to protect her kingdom of jhansi from the british but i'm actually looking at what were her vulnerabilities what she the chair moments of weakness the chair moments where she actually second guessed herself and did she actually uh, worry about whether her uh, you know her plans were actually did they make sense were they going to actually work out or not so the the frailties the human frailties behind uh, the goddess figure that she's been made into 
and her relationship with her son. So all these three books are inherently problematic as far as adults go. You're not supposed to question Rani Lakshmi Bai in any narrative, you know. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of flack. The book has just been released. So I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of flack for portraying her as, you know, somebody who's, yes, she's, I'm not doubting her courage anywhere, but I'm saying that uh, she she also, she's also human. She also has emotions. She also has fears. She also has apprehensions. Regarding Didda of Kashmir and Prithvi Mahadevi of Orissa, I have run into problems, particularly with Queen of Ice, with Didda of Kashmir, where librarians have actually looked at the book and told me, oh, but, you know, uh, this has violence. So how do we uh, get our, you know, 14 and 15-year-olds to read it? And of course, the temptation is to just... (laughs) blast them and say you know do you think they're exposed to any less on social media and in the world around them you know are they supposed to be blinkers and kind of look at the world through some kind of rosy colored eyes and i politely told this woman i said it's history this is what actually happened and if i'm writing about the past i cannot whitewash it to suit tastes and and so on i'm, I'm telling you a fact uh, you know something that happened and and I said also, I said, if this were actually uh, pertaining to a male ruler, you know, uh, any king in the past, nobody would actually think about it. But when it comes to a woman, you automatically bring in the question of morals, of conscience, of character, of, you know, all these kinds of things. And and she looked a bit skeptical. And, you know, I knew that she was not going to actually give her uh, students access to the books it's like it's okay but the response i've received from my uh the young readers has been tremendous because of course they read history as a subject to begin with so that is that is something that i had to take into consideration when i was sitting and writing these books but they've asked me why history can't be taught like this through historical fiction why are women left out why are such important women left out of the narrative of the past and i have had a, a couple of so-called enlightened uh teachers and parents coming up to me and saying that yes they have benefited from reading this book uh, these books and you know children have expressed an interest in knowing more and that I should write more and so on and we both of us know that in this field it's it's the gatekeepers who are the biggest hurdle I mean once you go past them then it's fine but you know you have to get past them and they're a formidable group because you have so many objections to the most ridiculous things that uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you don't know how to address your audience directly because they're coming in between them all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember after the second Mayal book came out and I was just looking on Twitter and social media just to see if people were talking about it. And I found this very strange tweet by this man who had gone on a rant on Twitter about how this book uh, is vulgar because it has a young girl going bra shopping with her mother. So he could not accept that this girl, uh, you know, the book talks about this. And I was like, listen, dude, this happens to girls. You know, when you're growing up, it's a very natural part of childhood. No, and there's also a very important thing that you've raised in in this book, This Is Me Mail, uh, where you've talked about uh, a girl being, you know, sexually harassed by her friend or her ex-boyfriend and you know who's posting her photos online and that is a very huge reality these days and how can you ignore that i mean is it it, are we supposed to just write about imaginative worlds some constructed worlds are we supposed to reflect reality in our writings because otherwise the children i think are just going to bypass what we write and get to uh, you know fiction that's emanating from 
elsewhere in the West that actually deal with these hard-hitting topics because it's talking about issues that directly impact them. Yeah, uh, so I mean, by the time we got the third book out, I think we had uh, developed the kind of, uh, you know, the confidence needed to say these things in the book. But for the first book, we did worry a lot about whether we were going overboard, whether we were going to say something inappropriate. And I remember that I used uh, the diary of Anne Frank as a kind of a reference point. Because the kind of things that Anne Frank writes in her diary, uh, I mean, she's in the middle of the world war, but still she finds time to talk about boys, her changing body, what she feels about all this, her developing sexuality and so on. So I was like, this is a real 14-year-old who is documenting her life. So this is this is the reality. This is what, this is what children think about. So if you're going to have a diary series, you cannot not mention all this and you can't you can't just make it about some school fights and worrying about math or whatever you have to really get into it you have to be honest about it so i remember the, the this popular uh, reading group on uh, facebook uh, there was one lady who had uh, even wondered if uh, the first mayul book was soft porn because of uh, my <laughs> Because there is one part where uh, Mayil and her friends are discussing, uh, you know, uh, how do people have sex? So they, they have no idea where, what goes where. And so they, it, it's not a very elaborate discussion. It's just a little bit uh, that's there. And this lady was so annoyed by it, by it that she thought that this was, uh, you know, soft porn. So, well, I had to, I generally don't insert myself into these conversations because I'm happy to have readers uh, discuss the book and debate and, it's, and if they don't like it, it's fine. But at that point, I had to intervene and tell her that this is not, you know, <laughs> this wasn't the point of writing the book. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how much harder it should be for you because this is entirely fiction, what, uh, what the Mile series is entirely fiction. And we are kind of free to say, hey, listen, this, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you think because we are writing our own story and this is completely new. Uh, much of what you do is historical fiction. So you you have to base your story on uh, past events, right? So do you get accused of appropriating a story or uh, getting your facts wrong or, uh, you know, twisting things to suit a certain narrative? Because history is very, very controversial right now. So, so far, Samia, the, the first two books in this series are based on characters and uh, time spans in history that nobody really knows about. The sources are very few. So, you know, the likelihood of uh, just a general reader coming up and saying you got your facts wrong is very remote because, you know, it's, it's, it's more likely a historian who might come up to me and say, you know, okay, what about your sources? But I was extremely careful with my sources and the way I tried to interpret them because uh, as a historian and a writer, I feel it's it's my uh, I need to convey a, a responsible and accurate picture of the past. Otherwise, I might as well be writing a work of fantasy. So you know, and of course, there are huge gaps in our knowledge, and you know, it's it's difficult to kind of plug those gaps. But I had to do as much of uh, sort of coherent reconstruction of the past as I could, given the sources, given the context, and so on. But uh, with a Queen of Fire, I am treading somewhat dangerous ground because um, the problem with history as I've lamented in various places is that everybody thinks it belongs to them and they are equipped to say whatever they want about it uh, you know and and I always say that you know if 
would you dare to make an assumption or a generalization about physics or chemistry? You wouldn't unless you knew you had enough in-depth knowledge to be able to make that assertion. But I have, as you know, as a historian, come across such ridiculous assertions and generalizations about history made by people who have absolutely no background on the subject and telling me, no, you don't know this. This actually happened in the past. So, you know, where do you begin to correct them? Where do you, you know, <laughs> what you tell them? And with Rani Lakshmi Bai, I know that in Queen of Fire, because she is her, the possession of her as a national figure, uh, is, is, is likely to kind of provoke a lot of outrage sentiments if I have dared to, you know, contravene a certain ideal, uh, uh, image that people have in their minds. Uh, I remember being really nervous when I was writing Queen of Ice, actually, because I knew there was a lot of violence involved in the, the story which is a fact of early medieval Kashmir. And I remember having this conversation with uh, Shaini and Anushka, my publishers at Duckbill, saying that, you know, uh, this is going to happen. I am going to have to write about all this blood and gore, and but which might make it difficult for you to actually market the book. But uh, they were wonderful. They said, look, you just go ahead and write whatever you want. I mean, bring in all the facts and it's our responsibility to make sure the book reaches a reader so i lost that fear in you know when i was writing queen of earth but it's just it's um i don't know i i, I sometimes feel that we should actually sit down and have a discussion with with the gatekeepers with everybody who's sort of who has a stake in this field and try and talk about some of these sort of assumptions that we make that this story belongs to me you can't tamper with it and all that now you must have faced that because now, fairy tales, for example, they have a linear narrative. It's supposed to be sacrosanct and, you know, people might get outraged if you deviate from the story. But then you have actually had different narratives of the same story with with alternative endings. And, you know, you've innovated a lot of characters, given a lot of agency to your women protagonists and so on. So how has that experience been? What kind of feedback have you received for those stories that you've written? I think the cultural gatekeepers don't care very much when you're talking about Western literature. I mean, the fairy tales don't really come from India, so they don't really, uh, you know, land on that and kind of uh, outrage. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but in the West, I, I know that Disney's new film, uh, Snow White, that seems to have raised a lot of uh, objection. So I, I think there was a critique on how Snow White yeah, Snow White gets kissed by the prince and she does not really consent. So, you know, th there was criticism on that, that Disney was showing it as such. Uh, because now we teach uh, children about safe touch and unsafe touch and what is consent and can a man just go and kiss a sleeping woman and expect her to be okay with that. So there was a lot of controversy and discussion around it. Girls to the Rescue, I that, that book came because... I mean, my, my child was just, my baby was, at that time was shifting from breast milk to solid food. And as you can imagine, it requires a lot of persuasion for a child to eat her meal at that time. So I, I would go on and on telling her stories. And when I got to fairy tales, I remember that I would start changing the ending halfway through the story because I would realize that each story requires some prince or some boy to come and rescue the girl from that crisis. So I was like, no, I'm not going to tell my child these stories. I'm going to make my own endings. So all of those stories happened like that. I would start out by telling her the conventional fairy tale. I wouldn't be able to bring myself to 
end it the way it does and then i would write my own version <laughs> so that's how that book happened and um i should say that that book has been received quite well uh, i think parents as well as uh, children have really loved it uh, there is one icse school textbook also which is taken that uh, story uh, one of the stories from the book so that book no i haven't really faced much of an uh, issue but you told me that your editors at duckbill were very supportive then so you didn't have to worry about it but as an author you have to make certain choices when you are writing so is there anything that you wanted to put into a book but you didn't because you felt it's either inappropriate or it might ruffle too many feathers or for whatever reason uh yes i again as i uh, all these uh, you know questionings and so on went on with queen of ice because that was the first time i was venturing into this territory it was uncharted territory and i was worried about how to represent history without really offending uh, you know my readers and so on so some parts of uh, didda's life i have left out she had a string of lovers so i was wondering okay you know i toyed a lot with the idea of okay introducing them and then i just realized that it would dilute the entire story i mean in the sense that keeping track of multiple characters who came and went in her life who were not really very important to her her main focus was on how to strengthen kashmir and you know how to strengthen her hold on the throne and i thought that the introduction of all these multiple characters would just detract from the story and you know then again it would be a, a sort of a whole list of names and as it is young readers have a problem with names in history that they find difficult to remember i for these reasons i left i left that bit out i did keep one main lover there in the in the book who who continues to be there. i mean he he was her uh, you know her main uh, supporter and so on so he's very much there a lot of the blood and gore that she indulged in i've i've remained true to that say three fourths of the time but some of it i felt was a bit repetitive and unnecessary she had this kind of response to her enemies that should cut off their heads and throw them into the river and so on and so forth so after a point you can't just keep saying that so i uh, i left out quite a bit of that so in that sense i could say that her story has been slightly whitewashed but would i do it differently if i sat down to write it today no i would i think do it the same way in the interest of keeping the story uh, engrossing and you know and just minus all the fear that i felt when i was writing that's what i would do but what do you think about this latest trend which is now you know of rewriting books like uh, those of inet blighton to you know sort of get rid of politically incorrect parts of it like you know we can't mention gollywogs we can't mention this and we can't mention that so you actually rewrite it because i feel that any story any work is in a in a sense a work of history because it reflects the times that it is set in you know might not be a direct reflection but definitely it's an oblique sort of commentary on what is happening so by rewriting that you're actually bringing in your modern context into something that happened in the past and i think you know i'm not very sure where we're headed with that what do you think about this so i owe in it light in a huge debt because it's because of her that i became Me a too. reader and it's because of her <laughs> that i became too. a writer 
I understand the current uh, readings and criticisms that happen, but uh, like you said, I believe that books are a product of their milieu. So there was also somebody like an Astrid Lindgren who was writing Pippi Longstocking, which was very you know not not the stereotypical girl characters that you would find. And yes, if you look at many of Enid Blyton's books, it's true that uh, the way she writes girl characters, they're not always the very liberated, strong kind of girl characters. they are happy to have the boys lead and so on and that criticism is probably valid looking at it from our current perspective but i wouldn't cancel her on the basis of that because uh, she's dead and she is not living in our times and i think that that is unfair but if you are living in contemporary times and somebody brings up a certain criticism of your book and it is a view that has some kind of validity and it's not just you know oh this is offensive i don't like it therefore you're wrong but something which is a little more informed i think that is a view that we can engage with as authors you know move from our own comfort zone and look at it from the perspective of another person so that is something i would think um, is necessary to do as a writer when you evolve if you want to evolve that is so yeah so that's where i stand on it so i am not really very fond of this cancel culture especially if the people whom we are canceling cannot speak for themselves so yes even a book like um, you know uncle tom's cabin which was uh, one of the important books that started the civil war in the us when i first read that book as a child i remember thinking oh my god this is fantastic and it's great that a white writer was able to write with so much empathy about slavery and racism but later as an adult i read what african americans thought about that book and how it has a savior complex and so and so on so i think these discussions are very complex and they're very layered and there's so there are so many voices i think it is worth engaging with those voices and i think that's how any field grows you know literature any any ever cinema or anything for that matter yeah that's where i stand on it I believe uh, the Queen of Ice is going to be made into a movie. I remember reading that. So are you worried at all about what's going to happen when that happens? <laughs> yeah, um yes it is. Uh, it's actually it's either going to be made into a movie or a, or a, a series uh, for one of these whatever Netflix or Amazon Prime. I am of course very happy that you know the story will reach you know a wide audience and so on and so forth but yes I have a lot of apprehension it's like throwing your baby out to the wolves and and then you know having to sit back and just wait and see what happens so yeah that's that's what I mean it's it's a bit scary uh, yeah but I hope you make lots of money out of it we really need somebody from the children's community to do that <laughs> I wish I could make a lot of money but so far no as as you know so we are we are in this field because of the love of it not yes. because we can actually sort of make a living entirely from it which is something that really annoys me when you look at writers children's writers in the west in uk in the us and other sometimes they make they have to give up their other professions because writing for children is so lucrative so I sometimes wonder are we ever going to get that kind of respect or command that kind of um, you know that kind of money or loyalty or some kind of acknowledgement here in india i think we're several light years away yeah. you know true i agree with you but as daya was talking about natasha's book the art of tying a pug i think you know the controversy surrounding that it's the first time that it's happened uh, i think in the children's books world so maybe we are getting 
to be taken a little more seriously than uh, you know we were earlier so uh, where did you actually stand on that issue when it happened i remember i mean i also work as a journalist for the news minute so i took down opinions from different uh, people from the publishing world so, so i think i think all of them felt uh, strongly that the threats were unnecessary but there were some people who did feel that the representation could have been more sensitive that maybe you know a third person reading the book may have felt that it was offensive so uh, where do you stand on this uh, censorship and banning in children's books again i feel very strongly about uh, you know this this whole as i said this issue of censorship i feel that just because a child reads a book about a thief doesn't mean that the child is going to run out tomorrow and become a thief and rob a bank so i think somewhere we are continuously underestimating the intelligence and discernment of children of of readers the very fact that they read argues for a certain amount of intelligence a certain amount of um, vision a certain amount of understanding in them otherwise they wouldn't be engaging with books and you know we read so much when we were growing up we might have been influenced in different ways of what we read that doesn't mean that it translated into us doing objectionable things simply because we read about objectionable things i think a child takes what he or she wants from a book and then if something is beyond the comprehension that they might just leave it alone come back to it at a later point or just move on to something else and i think we should let that process develop organically without interfering at every stage without dictating that you know oh my god you, you can't read this you can't read that because reading is such a intensely personal activity i feel i mean what works for me as a book uh, we might not work for you as a book i mean your relationship with a book is intensely private so let the child develop you know his or her relationship with a particular book and uh, i mean I, i'm not sure about this but i don't think there have been any children who have objected to the the way the book was you know uh, the story was um, portrayed or anything it is basically the objections coming from the adults who can have the antennae out only if it's something to do with books but they will allow their child to sit for hours in front of the tv or the computer absorbing all sorts of extremely you know uh, uh, problematic material and not have an issue with that you know of course uh, it would have to be a very diplomatic kind of an encounter but somewhere if we could just sit down and have this continuous dialogue with these gatekeepers just continuously sort of driving home the fact that you need to leave your children alone let them form their own relationship with books let them explore the world on their own and they will as you said i mean you read a book as a child uncle tom's cabin and meant something to you then and then you come back and revisit it so let them do that children are intelligent they have all you know the the resources uh, at their command that will enable them to uh, sort of understand a book on different levels or not understand it and they can just move on it's okay but for you to be sitting there and imposing yourself between the child and the book and saying uh, no i'm sorry but you know you'll have to read that and you will not read this and do you realize that this is outraging religious sentiment which child has come up and actually said you know i i have a problem with this book because it's outraging religious sentiment or that sentiment i mean you mentioned that girl who didn't want her brother to uh, to read my mail but uh, you know maybe there's a arouse by protective instinct in in sort of intensely conservative uh, atmosphere at home but the fact is that she had read the book herself 
So it's not as if she said, "Oh my God, I cannot touch this book because you know it is telling us about things that we should not actually be reading about." I think for her, it was not offensive per se. I think she was just worried about her younger brother. Yeah, so she was even protective yeah. about her brother. Exactly. Okay, yeah. let me shield this uh, <laughs> yeah. person. So, but uh, in parents, in the case of parents, yes, I understand the protective instinct would come in. But the fact is, if you if you feel that way if you feel very strongly about a book then why don't you make it a two way process you sit down and you discuss what you think might be problematic about the book just have a dialogue you can't just come in and say no you know this will not be read i mean you know yeah and the thought that it shouldn't even exist it's fine if you don't like it don't get it don't buy it don't look at it don't read yeah, it yeah don't yeah don't why yeah. do you have to stop other people from yeah and and particularly your own child who might Who might have very different reading tastes from you? I mean, why should you assume that your child is a clone of yourself? And uh, how old is your daughter? She's nine. Nine. Okay. So are you are you interfering at all in you know in, in no, the book? No, no, not yeah. at all. So she reads everything under the sun, whatever interests. Which her. is perfect. Yeah. yeah. So, but we do talk about books. Like, I mean, she's already aware of gender and so on. So she does tell me that oh, oh she's very proud of identifying sexism in books and so on. So she does does tell me, oh, why does Enid Blyton do this? But then she has read almost, you know, so many series written by Enid Blyton. So it doesn't stop her from picking up a book. But she is able to see the problems with the book as well, which I think is fine. I think that's how you grow and evolve as a reader, as a person, and that's what we do as adults as well. So why do we have to do that kind of gatekeeping for kids and assume that they have no brains of their own and they can't figure things, you know, things out for themselves? So uh, sometimes I've noticed that she has been way more perceptive than I have about books. Like I remember she once came up to me and asked, "Why are girls in children's books always drawn with really thin arms?" So that really bothered her. And uh, she told me even in Frozen, which is very progressive, the girls are all always uh, you know drawn in a very frail way. Their arms are very thin. So that's what led me to write uh, this book for Pratham, uh, which is called the Weightlifting Princess. So the illustrations have this princess with big bulging arms. <laughs> I wanted to create that representation for her because she missed seeing that in children's books. So I think that's one power you have as a writer, mother. You know, you you miss this here, have it. <laughs> And I wish there were more. Uh, do you think that there should be like more men in this? in this field in indian literature is it's skewed in favor of women because the majority of writers are uh, women it seems like yeah i think uh, in every field uh, whenever it is low paid we'll see that there's more women <laughs> than men although in india i think we've had premchand and even tagore used to write uh, children's books but now yes I think the publishers also yeah, who specialize in children's books uh, the independent ones it's mostly women run organizations and uh, writers we have plenty of women writers I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing uh, yeah. but yes it would be good to have more male voices engaging with these issues and talking to uh, you know children because the more diverse we are as a community the more diverse are books are going yeah to. that's true so what's next for you samya is there another mile in the pipeline or what are you working on now um no mile book in the foreseeable future but uh, i'm working on a book for uh, rupa it's on elephants stories that uh, from mythology that deal with uh, elephants and also real life elephant personalities like a guruvayur keshavan and all these really famous elephants in history so i'm coming into your field a little bit but through <laughs> elephants <laughs> <laughs> what about you devika what are you working on well 
I'm uh, I've got this work of non-fiction, historical non-fiction, uh, for Simon and Schuster in the uh, you know in the pipeline. But uh, I I'm also going to write or I want to write the story of uh, another very remarkable queen who ruled Kashmir before Didda in the ninth century and. Again, very powerful. Had to go through a lot of obstacles and uh, showed remarkable resilience and uh, you know political sagacity and so on. This woman is slightly more as a combination of violence and deviousness. So I'm not sure. Again, I'm you know I can foresee the battles ahead of me, not from my young readers at all, but from the usual suspects. suspects. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I really look forward to that, uh, Devika. So it's been wonderful speaking to you. And you... I've absolutely enjoyed this conversation, and it's so nice to connect with somebody from the community in this, you know, personal level. So, thank you so much to Karadi Tales as well for hosting this, and I hope all of you listening in had a great time. Thank you. Yeah, it was wonderful chatting with you, Samia. At least with this virtually, you know, we were planning to do this physically for a long time. But yeah, and uh, thank you to Karadi Tales for organizing this. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much Devika and Samia for this very important discussion. It's a pity that there continue to be gatekeepers and censorship when it comes to children's books. Hopefully this is something we'll see less and less of in the years to come. And thank you to everyone who listened. Do check out our website karadetales.com for beautiful picture books and audiobooks. This is the last episode of season 1. We hope you've enjoyed all of these conversations on the little bookmakers.